you are hearing this, you are receiving a signal from another planet. Fanboy planet. Watch animate chicks with inflatable breasts. You might be a Trekkie. Sit back and watch as the Uber geek goes and kicks it up a notch. Turn to the letter F in your dictionary and add this word to your vocabulary. Take a look, cause I'm the real McCoy. Damn it, Jim, I'm not a doctor. I'm just the definition of a fanboy, baby. The doll with the teeth is uh, uh, that's that's trilogy, trilogy of, terror. of terror. Yeah, 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 yeah. But there was chatty. Cat, there is a Twilight Zone episode with a killer doll. Right, right. Yeah. And there's also a Twilight Zone where there are these little little wind up robot things that you find out at the end are actually U.S. Uh, spacemen who've landed on a planet of giant Agnes Moorhead. Yes, yes. The yeah, yeah. yeah the intruders. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, but I'm meaning to reread. I haven't read. I read it when I was probably in high school. At the Mountains of Madness, which is yeah. Like, so no, I haven't read that, but I've read the the Elseworlds based on it, the Batman of the Mountains of Madness. Oh, so, so interesting. You know, I've read. You know, I haven't read that one. Well, that's the thing is that this. You know, Lovecraft's another one to go into if they accept my uh, proposal. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, for the the, uh, the panel is. This is going along seriously in academia because of how racist Lovecraft actually was. Right. Um, the question is, is it time to just move on past him? It is sent, would, you know, it becomes a question. If a character is, if a horror is basically lives long enough to be parodied and to become like the the cute, cuddly version. Right, right. Should the we just be done? Cthulhu. Yeah. Should we just be done? But Aquaman, the whole the, J- J- Julie, uh, I was going to say Julie Newmar. No, Julie Andrews' monster uh-huh. is inspired by Lovecraft, and uh, at the was it at the Mountains of Madness? No, it was the Dumbwich Horror is on uh-huh. to, is on um, Curry's. The the father's uh, bookshelf. Bo- no, it's on the coffee table. It's on the table. I guess. So the the uh, the lighthouse gla- globe, snow globe, right. is sitting on a copy of the Dunwich Horror. Okay, and so um, James Wan was called out called out for this, like you know how because of course as a social justice warrior, right? How can you have Lovecraft? And he's like, well, how can I not? Lovecraft is has influenced me. When we were doing the designs, yeah, it made sense. He says, "So I might as well just lean into it." I know he's problematic. I know he's racist as hell, right? But you know, it, 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 the care, the ideas are still steeped in our culture. There's right. no escaping it. Right. So, no, I mean, the fact of the matter is that he invented the mythos, but there were a lot of writers who did did it better, as good or better. Um, yeah, my favorite, of course, is Brian Lumley. Whose yeah. stories are just so good, yeah. And he... So let's yeah let's uh, let's get into it. 
Okay. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you were if you had started recording. I, I had. I, I've been recording for a while. I oh, I, I. I did you test it? I don't have to test this one. When Are you it's sure? coming through, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I see the numbers advancing and all the dials. I assume the blinky you lights could. are blinking when they're supposed to. I assumed you always could. So, uh, you know, I'll just rant a little. Does this feel? Am I right? Is this like late? Is this already late? I saw that today, and like I didn't even look at the cut. I didn't. It even could look at be the cover. very, very early. <laughs> no, I just thought. Has it only been a month since the first issue came out? I don't. I don't remember. But anyway, I so. think you're right. I think it does. I think it did come out in December. All right, uh, is, you but know, I. Something in the back of my mind says the first issue is late. No, I think that, you know, if you, yeah, you know what, you you may be right that they had announced a date and then it didn't really happen. Right, so they had this one in the, in the, yeah, uh, yeah. in queue. Yeah, oh, there's a, oh, this is not your recommendation. This is, is my it? recommendation. Okay, I, this is, ooh. It's not, it's, it's, it's an interesting amalgam of things. Don't open it up. I wanted to be a surprise. No, I, I won't. I, yeah. I'm, res- I'm respecting. Yeah. Um, all right. You know, okay. So, hey, let's get into it. Hey, this is Derek McCaw, editor-in-chief of FanboyPlanet.com. Welcome to the podcast. Across from me, uh, taunting me with books that I cannot open, podcast producer, Rick Brett Snyder. There we go. Um, we've got, I think, a pretty good conversational show tonight. And we have, a, I think, a, a really good interview as well. So, we have we do have a top story with a, with a filmmaker who is going... I'll set this up correctly. Going to Sundance this week, but not with her actual film, which is already out in theaters right now. So, it, but it's still a pretty big news story there. So, anyway, before we get into that, of course, I do just want to mention that you probably heard us on Apple Podcast. Maybe hearing us on Google Play or again, TuneIn. Is that what your car plays? TuneIn. TuneIn.com. Wherever your podcast, whatever your favorite podcast platform is. I hope we're there. And if we're not, please tell right into them and tell them that you would like them to carry the Fanboy Planet podcast. As well, of course, you can listen to each and every episode on the website, fanboyplanet.com. If you'd like to help uh, support us, if there's something that we talk about on the podcast tonight or any podcast that you can legally own and we do not and you cannot find it at your local brick and mortar store because I very much believe in supporting your local shops. We would appreciate it if you would go to Amazon. Each and every page of Fanboy Planet has a search box for Amazon, and we get a small percentage of that of sales that get made through that way. Costs you nothing, and some well, it does cost you something because you bought something from Amazon. So the, the donation part to us costs them nothing. No, that's that's true. That's yeah. true. In the, in this case, you're right. Yes. And uh, if we do provide a direct link to a particular item, sometimes we do that. Uh, then that is, we even get a, a slightly higher percentage. Mm. I believe it's one tenth of one tenth of a percentage increase so by all means it's, it's great i don't know i didn't read the last updated terms email i think they're play- paying in pesos now you know i don't care the the reality is uh everybody everybody complains about amazon and we all shop there so i just yeah. i just embraced it yeah. i know yeah. the truth and uh of course we're also affiliated with think geek and there are think geek ads occasionally on uh, on the sidebars for fanboy planet so you can you can go through that as well and then we also get a, a small percentage as well, if you would like to help uh, defray the cost of it, this is where it costs you to donate it, it is you can donate on PayPal uh, to editor at fanboyplanet.com. Kick in a dollar, kick in five dollars. One one small shot of karma. Good karma. Maybe. Although, you know, reality, the good karma, I still say, is like a lot of charities. I'm sorry I'm there, you know, and I'm going to yeah. I forgot to, to mention this one just uh, that I'm going to put out there. 
if you'd like to sponsor the podcast, an episode, you've got a product or something you'd like to like to serve. But I'm doing this as a PSA that I, you know, right before Christmas, and of course you can still buy my book, I was Flesh Gordon, but uh, around Thanksgiving, a store in Los Angeles that really opened sight unseen, I walked in and said, hey, do you think we could do an event here? And they looked at it, evaluated it, my book, and said, yes, great, is Dark Delicacies. Well, Dark Delicacies is part of a neighborhood that's becoming kind of, I'm not going to say hipsterized, that's not right. Gentrified? Uh, Gentrified. The rents are going up because the yeah. landlords are all seeing that, hey, this is a really popular shopping district. But the things that make it a popular shopping district are stores that are not like any other stores. Right. So they're raising the rent so that only the stores that are like other stores can come in. And the stores that can't afford their right. rent anymore so, will go and it'll be like... So Dark Delicacies is having a GoFundMe this week, which has gone global. And I mean this literally because Guillermo del Toro and Cory Doctorow... And other people whose names rhyme with those uh, publicly Zorro. made sta- pa- publicly made statements. Cory Doctorow said he li- I won't say say more. But on Boing Boing, they posted the GoFundMe. Guillermo del Toro. It made it to the L.A. Times. It made it to the Daily Standard in 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 London. And so it's been this very high profile thing. They are moving their location somewhere around the corner, so they're off the main Magnolia Drag, but still in the neighborhood. And the rent is is down, but they need. Uh, I've seen photos of the building. It's definitely needs some work, and it certainly doesn't look like a dark delicacies. It's like bright candy colors <laughs> in the paint inside. Yeah, they got to repaint. Right. Um, but it is a great community, and I, I think it's next Sunday or this upcoming Sunday. They're having a. A little mini Scream Queens convention. Barbara Crampton, I think, is going to be there. Christine DeBell, who was uh, in, well, she was in Alice, Alice in Wonderland. Wonderland. Is mentioned yeah. She is mentioned in the book, I Was Flesh Gordon, because Jason Williams produced that film. And uh, there are several other names. Adrian Barbeau is going to be there. And so they're having this little convention. But, but they're doing a fundraiser. And on February 2nd, Saturday, February 2nd, they're having an event. Bring down the kitties. I think it's like a dollar a photo with uh, actors dressed up as Jason, Freddy, uh, Leatherface, and Pinhead. Okay. I may be missing one. Uh, but uh, anyway, kind of, kind of fun. And, of course, going down and they're having an auction. Uh, an auction. They've got some items signed by by horror legends that are one of a kind things. So uh you can go D A R K D E L dot com. That's Darkdell dot com to find out more information either about the GoFundMe or about going down there. There I think there there will be in that location for another two months. And it really is, if you have not checked it out already and and you're in the LA area, it, it's a wonderful community. I find it somewhat funny and ironic that the horror community i'm finding to be the most reassuring group of people <laughs> that i have encountered in the last year so I, and maybe if you're listening and you're a horror fan you're like well duh but me that's a lovely community and the source of nightmares and not not for me i'm, I'm nope. like oh this is nice um i still got my zombie issues but you know yeah. who doesn't who doesn't in today's day and age, it's the only right thing to do. But anyway, uh, you can also communicate with us. The, I mentioned editor at fanboyplanet.com. If you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write into editor at fanboyplanet.com. You can join the conversation on any page. If you want to make a comment, we've got that. Uh, you can you can join that way. You can join the Facebook page. We've got Fanboy Planet on Facebook. We are on Twitter at fanboyplanet. Tweet at us. Uh, also on Instagram at fanboyplanet. 
And I think that's about all the ways to communicate, but we'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Uh, I've been having an exchange with listener Louis Stone Cologne. He is correlating for me so that I have a master list of what studios own what studios and what properties. So I I will talk about that when I think we're – We've absolutely got it in place until the next time a studio a makes a merger. Yeah. yeah, trying to put together a flowchart. Yeah. And I really, he just emailed me a couple of weeks ago and said, "Hey, would you be interested if I did this?" And I said, "Yeah, that'd be kind of good to keep straight because it can't all stay in the Zorlax head. Right. Zorlax getting old." So I, I will move before we get to the the comics news, the movie news, the TV news. Our top story tonight is uh, I took some time this last weekend to sit down and interview Jen McGowan. She's a, a, a director. A few years ago, she had a drama called uh, Kelly and Cal uh, that, that I think is actually available on Netflix, and I and I need to go back in and watch it. Uh, but uh, she made a little splash this uh, this month with a, a thriller, kind of a, I don't know what you call this genre, woman in peril genre. That feels too reductive. The Kind of the, the wrong turn type of movie. Wrong Turn is literally yeah, the yeah. name of a, a movie series that right, does it. Right, right. The you know kind of woman or teen trapped in the backwoods uh, and you know trying to escape. I think there are a number of significant tropes and oh the, yeah, but I'm trying terror. to think of I'm trying to think of what specifically you'd call that. Well, there's sub-genre. horror versus terror, right? And, but I'm saying I don't know what yeah. you call the subgenre specifically. Yeah. I, I'm going a Wrong Turn movie. Yeah. So she made this thriller. We'll call it that. She made this thriller called Rust Creek. It's uh, through IFC Midnight, so it's in uh, probably in bigger cities at this at this point. It's also, I, I believe, available video on demand. Uh, what makes it notable, aside from yeah, it's a pretty nifty little film. It is notable that it is the director, the writer, producer. Uh, I think several of the professionals on the film are women, mm-hmm. and so it is the first of these movies. At least as far as I am aware. So someone might say, well, what about, you know, that's okay. Tell me, correct me. But as far as I'm aware, this is the first of this genre that is really driven from a a woman's point of view. And I don't just mean that it's a female protagonist. I mean that it's got that sensibility throughout it. And uh, as you'll hear in in this as well, she is the founder of filmpowered.com, which is an online meeting place, database, uh, job board, so forth for women in the film industry, no matter what level, you know, is it it's grips to even film critics? Hey, there's a newspaper looking for a, 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 a female writer. Here you go. So uh, she's going to Sundance with that, and we'll talk about it in the interview. So without further ado, Jen McGowan. All right, we are at Jinkies, Santa Monica, which has nothing to do with Scooby-Doo, so I'm disappointed. But, uh, but we, I am... Sitting here at a, at a coffee shop with Jen McGowan, who is a director and has a thr- a thriller out uh, right now, in limited release right limited now. Release, yeah. But I have seen Midnight yes. as a distributor called Rust Creek, and she's kind enough uh, to let us sit down uh, the week you're trying to prepare for Sundance, <laughs> yeah. which has to be insane. It's a little busy. So thank you for sharing <laughs> eggs and whatever here. Uh, so. Rust Creek is the is the, the thriller. Uh, how did you discover this? Because I, I, I saw some things you said, like I think it was like almost in August. This is kind of a whirlwind production. So yeah, so I got involved. The project existed with the producer Stu Pollard at a company called Lunacy, and I had been introduced to him uh, as a potential financier for another project I was trying to get set up. And I went in, I met with him about that project. He didn't respond to it. 
Um, but we really hit it off. And later I learned that he was trying to get Rust Creek set up, and I had been recommended to him by a couple of people. So after that meeting where we connected, he followed up and said, hey, I have this other project. Would you be interested in reading it? And I was like, absolutely. So that was in August 2016, and then we were shooting in November. 2016? Yeah. So it's been... A couple of years you've been living with him. Yeah, we we um, we finished the film relatively quickly. I mean, within a, a year's time. But then, you know, finding the right distribution, finding the right um, place for it, took a little time. And you know, going through that process, I was a little impatient and, and frustrated. But I think it's coming out at the perfect time. So in the end, it's the it's the best thing for it. That is, that, that is interesting, yeah, because uh, my take watching it was, it's a familiar genre. Mm-hmm. There's a, the, yeah. the woman in trouble. I, I, the movie I was thinking of was kind of like wrong turn. Uh, not necessarily a genre that I, I, I sought out. Yeah. I sought this out because you and I have known each other on right. the internet right. uh, for a short film, Confessions of a Late Bloomer. Yes. I'm just calling it out so people can find it. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I need to point out Derek was the first reviewer of my work ever. And I don't even know how that happened. But that was, you know, I mean, I really don't. I think you just, like somebody said, hey, would you, you want to look at this DVD? Probably. Uh, and then you did a short film called Touch, and, and yeah. a few years ago was a film called Kelly and Cow. Yes. Right? So, if people want to look look up Jen's work, Rust Creek is this, uh, like I say, familiar genre. But what I what stood out for me, aside from, and, it, and we, I know we're going to dive into this, it's all, it's it's weird to say that a, a talking point about the film is how many crew members, how much talent on this are women, which is counter to. The story. I'm doing the air quotes, which no one can see. Yeah. Of, of what we expect on this kind of film. Yeah. Unfortunately, that's worth mentioning. Right. But but what what else struck struck me was how real to me many of the characters very easily and in any other of this genre yeah, would have been stereotypical. Yeah. Exaggerated. So like I, I will start with. Uh, do you trust technology after you put? Uh, Sawyer, the, the, the <laughs> character, uh, instead of making a wrong turn, it's the GPS, it's the app. As I was late getting here and thinking, <laughs> this is perfect, uh, you know, her wrong turn is because technology just yeah. put her to a dead end. Yeah, and, and that was one of the things that appealed to me about this because I know, like, if I go into the woods, I don't really know how to survive. <laughs> I mean... I don't think many of us do anymore, and we're, we can become really vulnerable very quickly. Um, I rely on my technology a lot. My phone is pretty much glued to my hand. I mean, as you know, I'm very active on social. Um, so I, it's a part of who I am and how I communicate and how I learn things and how I connect with people. That Those are all important things to me. Yeah, and, and to the to the normal as well, not just technology, the threat um, from the two Kentucky, I, I don't want to say backwoodsmen, but you know they live in a, a trailer, and um, but how when they come, they approach Sawyer, it is they are so normal that I'm watching, thinking, oh, you know, this is maybe they're not 
Maybe it's not going to go where I think it's going to go. Maybe they're not the ones that are going to be the threat. So, but that's a male perspective, and I know that. You it, know? No, it is, and but it's a great one. And I love villains that are possible. I think those are infinitely more terrifying than villains that you know that you're never going to encounter. Um, so these are real guys, and she recognizes them, or we recognize them. Um, mm-hmm. That's one of the things the actress and I talked about, Hermione Corfield, is I was like, look, you recognize these guys. They're, 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 you've seen them at family barbecues growing up. You know, so you're not immediately terrified of them. And maybe nor is some of the audience. Um, but it's definitely a spectrum. People experience that scene very differently. Um, from a, a benign to terrifying, I can't watch. Yeah, I mean, just, my, my first thought when it started to take the turn, and, I, and it's not a spoiler, this is Act 1. I try not to spoil past Act yeah, 1 of anything. Yeah. But um, it is that it also showed to to me, and something that I, I think I wrestle with in our culture, is how um, evil is just a matter of opportunity sometimes. Oh, absolutely. Like, these guys weren't going out thinking, we're going to go up to Rust Creek and we're going to rape the team. Right. You know? um, but the opportunity suddenly presents itself and that goes into their head. Yeah. And um, the other thing I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, because what people do talk about a lot in the press, which I don't think is a spoiler either, is that it is she, she in fact, is not raped. And that seems to be very profound for a lot of women watching, especially. And I think why that resonates with people is in, in a lot of in a lot of movies, women have to be treated so debased, so degraded, so hatefully before a response is justified on our part. This 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 response happens sooner than that degree of of um, threat. And I, I, I'm finding that in the discussion afterwards kind of interesting. It's like, yeah, actually, we deserve to respond prior to absolute torture and degradation. Yeah. You know, and I think it, it, the timing, as you said, is absolutely right on a week where um, I'm seeing at least a lot of internet outrage. I'm not experiencing it in real life. Over the Gillette Adam. You know, just basically just saying, oh my God, don't be asshole. God forbid. <laughs> God forbid we say, don't be a dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's another thing I think what I found unsettling versus I, some of other things like Wrong Turn or I'm trying to think of the no vacancy. I think about a couple that check into a hotel and it becomes torture. Or, no, don't seek it out. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but, but films I've seen along this is, is there's nothing Sawyer does that is wrong. And the narrative that we would normally want to tell ourselves is, you know, she fights back effectively, but that doesn't solve the problem. Yeah. And I think that's what became unsettling to me is like in another story. Yeah. That it, it, it doesn't have a, a deeper thing. You know? And you know what's interesting to me about filmmaking is that the perspective of the filmmakers only needs to be slightly new, slightly different, slightly askew. For it to connect in a in a real way with audiences, they recognize a slight change. 
Um, and that's what I'm finding in the reaction in this film. Yeah. So, you kind of, when we were talking about how these normally get exaggerated, did you have moments on the set where you were like, hey, we are going too far, let me pull this back, it's getting into a... You know, it was, there are a lot of moments that could be stereotypical, even with the police department. Yeah, yeah. Well, look, the script is what it was, so I knew what I was dealing with, and whenever you make a movie, you know, okay... Here's worst-case scenario execution. Here's best-case scenario execution. And it's kind of always a high-wire act. And um, I was very mindful from the start of what I wanted to tell with the script and what I hoped I didn't do with the script. Okay. And, and did you work with Julie Lipson to tweak in any way? Uh, that's the screenwriter. Uh, yeah, Julie was the screenwriter. I developed it a bit, but by the time I was brought on, the producer had been working with her for a long time, so it was an incredible shape. Um, I certainly made some changes, as a director always does, but the material that was there is is, is very close to what I had originally. Okay. What, what leeway did you have in casting? You brought on, and, and I guess the clip really is like... You found uh, for the sheriff, and I'm blanking on his name. Sean O'Brien. Sean O'Brien. He's amazing, and I, love... I watched it. I watched the movie, and then was watching TV a couple of days yeah. later, and he showed up on something else. Yeah, and, he's everywhere. And I want to think that he was way back when, in like a Bud Light commercial. I remember um, way back. I have when no doubt he was in a Bud Light I, I commercial. I don't know, but but definitely a nuanced role there. You know, warm and threatening when needs to be. But Hermione Corfield. This is a personal thing. I, I got to ask is. Why a British actor for this Kentucky girl? Because uh, she was the best for the role. She came in and auditioned, and she just, she won the role. Um, she was amazing, and I am very fortunate to have had her. Should American drama schools start upping their game with training? Because I just think so many... No, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> I just see so many, particular characters that are Southern, so many... Well, okay, so so there's a couple of things there in that. One is it's a lot easier for a British actor to do a Southern accent than a neutral American. So that's one thing. Um, the For me as a director, um, there is a... There is an ease about British actors. Now, keep in mind, we only see the best of. That's true. It, so, That's you true. know, it's like whenever there's a whenever there's a trend of oh, it's all Mexican films this year. Oh, it's all Australian films this year. They must be geniuses. Okay, yes. However, we're only seeing the best. You know. I have seen some of the worst. Yes. So, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Um, but one thing that I do see in British performers. Um, not to say that it's lacking in Americans, but what I do respond is an ease, is a playfulness, is an openness and a willingness. I, I also find that a lot of um, a lot of the when you're looking for like a sexy male role, the guys in Australia and Britain, like they are, they have a comfort in their masculinity that is not as rigid. As, as what I see in American actors. Now, that could that could be saying nothing about American men. It might just be saying about the way that we promote and train our actors here. I have no idea. Um, but but I do see that. Um, and maybe it's a momentary thing. Who knows? If you're a Hemsworth, it's easy. Right. So. I, I also particularly love, personally, working with trained actors. I like working with pros. Um, I, you know, maybe someday I'll work with 
uh, an, an uh, inexperienced actor, but I don't prefer to. Okay. Um, so, here you got the stool, uh, and it's different than your other films have been, and uh, we will tie, tie this into filmpowered.com, okay, or cool. yours, but, but famously, and I think you've addressed this online, a few months ago, Jason Bloom of Bloomhouse said we can't find any... Man, everybody's getting on him. Well, yep. sure. No, 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 no. I'm not on him, because... Uh. He apologized. He did. Immediately. And, and I have to recognize that he did a grown-up proper apology, not, oh, I'm sorry I hurt your feelings if you misunderstood me. Which is why only film journalists, it's like I'm, I'm a, no, but it, whatever, you know, interviewers are the ones that keep bringing it up. I don't think it's still in the conversation. No, 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 no but I mean, because I mean, it's, it's, it's a really good point you made. He made a proper apology. Yes. He, uh, you know, and so my question to you is, now that you've dipped a toe into this is that you know could you see yourself are you attracted to genre do you want to go oh my god that would be amazing I look I want to do everything I love movies and I love storytelling I'm totally genre agnostic not so into torture porn but if there's a feminist take on it that would be amazing I don't think this so. This is hurting my head trying to like formulate <laughs> how that would work. I have uh, no idea. I, um, but like I said, it's not a genre I watch no. either. Um, but and, look, I want to make movies that audiences enjoy and find entertaining and that I can get behind the message behind, you know, that I can feel good about what I'm putting out there. And I don't mean like everything has to be moral or ethical or whatever, because sometimes when you're reflecting on the world that you're in, there's not much good to say. And maybe that's a sufficient thing to, to, to put into the world. Well, and we are in a, in a time when, and which has gone through cycles historically, horror films are very big right now. I know. Because we are scared. We're scared. And there, there is absolutely... You can't argue with that. We are scared. So those are the stories that are going to have resonance right now. Yeah. And I think uh, there is a comfort in materializing, visualizing, physicalizing a fear because it can be dealt with in a safe two-hour period, unlike what's happening in the world. Yes. Uh, So let's talk about film power. We're about to go to Sunset. uh, Sunset. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, we're just going to drive 10 miles down, uh, no, Sundance, Yeah, and uh, for a, a relaunch, uh, as called filmpower.com, yeah. which is, I'm not sure how to best accurately describe, so a resource, uh, I was calling it a database to somebody I was trying to explain, it, and I said, that's inadequate, uh, but a place for women film professionals Stop me when I get it wrong. No, I'm curious to hear this. This is great. For for women film professionals to basically put them out to those other. Like, if I go to IMDb, I get everybody. But if I want to do uh, as... uh, Man, I am bad at names today. Uh, The actress who won the the best... uh, The Academy Award last year. The Inclusion Writers. If you wanted to do the Inclusion Writers, Francis McDormand. Right. But blank on her name. Yes. Uh, that when Francis McDormand put it out there, and apparently only Michael B. Jordan has actually yeah. put an inclusion writer in place. Yes. So if you wanted to actually enact that in, on your own film production, you would go to filmpower.com. You could go to filmpower.com. Yes. And you immediately got, here are the key grips who are women. Yes. Here are the 
screenwriters, here are the directors, here are the editors, assistant editors, whatever. You've got it. And it's from script to criticism. We have film writers, we have distributors, we have publicists. Um, I don't want to sound like Trump, but I have all the best people. (laughs) That's all right. Yeah, I'm going to sit and sit my coffee over that. Yeah, so it, it is a great resource. And... And it's also a way for these women to connect with one another, to hire one another, to support one another, to meet one another. Well, yeah, we were talking earlier about how that, that, that should be regardless. The world does work in terms of who you know, and, and I don't mean to say say that as a cynical thing. No. This is a reality. Yes. You work with people you like. You That's work right. with people you know, and this is an opportunity. So it's, there's a social media aspect to it. Yes. And so you're going to Sundance. You've yep. got level forward. forward. Thank you. Which I, I I will be fixated on this because anybody who listens to the podcast regularly knows I love almost all things Disney. That level forward, is, well, I'm, I'm wearing the Tiki Room polo shirt right now. <laughs> I've got an egg all over it, literally. That uh, Abigail Disney, Roy E's daughter, right. uh, so direct descendant mm-hmm. of Walt uh, or of Roy O, Walt's brother, uh, is one of the founders. Yes, level, yes, level yes. With, with Adrian Becker, um, it's formerly a killer content. Uh, the, that association, the killer association is with killer films. Um, and they now are making Broadway shows, film, television. Um, they're going into digital spaces. Um, As everyone should be. I mean, yes, regardless, it's the way. With a social, res- socially responsible bent. Um, and I think that's what's super exciting about them and why it was a good match with Film Power. You're doing what I, I, I... We sign off every podcast with Use Your Powers for Good because we're, we started with comics, right? So, yeah. um, you know, this is it. I, I get very energized having conversations with people who are using their powers for good, and that's what you're doing. So Sundance, not your first time. There. No, I've been there many times. I've never screened anything there. Will you be? Or is it just your... You're hosting the lounge. We're ho- the yeah, lounge. we're hosting an event on uh, Saturday the 26th, which if uh, anyone is 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 go- is attending, I don't know when this will air, but if they're attending, you know, please check yeah, it I out. I honestly don't know either. We, we time travel a lot. Okay, good. If, you, if you're listening to this on the 27th, time travel back to the Sorry. 26th. No, no, it's, it, it's me. It's, it's, it's banking thing. So, yeah. So, what do you hope to get out of it? Out of Sundance? Yeah. I want people, I want women in the industry, more women joining Film Powered. We have about 3,000 members internationally right now. I want to see that doubled in the next couple of months and doubled again by the end of the year. I want this to be the go-to resource for people looking to hire women. Skilled, highly qualified. I mean, the credits of some of these women are incredible. We put, we put it on a, a, a document for a, a poster that we're making. It was 14 pages long of recognizable, sexy, known credits where members had worked above assistant level. It's the, the, the talent among these women is incredible. And the films they've worked on. I think you posted a amazing. list that I, I, I stopped with the bees because yeah. I'm like, I don't have time right now. Yeah, it's amazing. <laughs> so I'm gonna get, back, get back there. So, um, to wrap up, what gives you hope in 2019? I think this might, this is going to be my question. In 2019? In every interview this year, as we go through, what, what, what gives you hope? You know, I'm a pretty, uh, 
I'm not, I, I don't think I'm a super optimistic person, but I'm a, a pragmatic person and I like getting things done. And I feel that there's a lot of opportunity for that in this year. I feel like there's energy. People got a nice long rest over the holidays. They're ready to go out and cause some trouble, which is always fun for me. All right. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. <laughs> thank you. Very excited. And it's a reminder to me tonight to transfer over from the legacy site which by the way you know there's there's it looks like we've got 110 pages uh-huh. on fanboy planet right or, or which with like 20 articles on each page as far as the index goes right but there's still like 15 years worth of content on right, legacy.fanboyplanet.com right. it's all searchable through the same engine yes yes so yeah. although i think the engine may be broken right now we need to fix that but mm. you can fix through google you can type fanboy planet whatever subject and the old one will come up right but uh as we mentioned in the interview she uh had reached out to me or, or a publicist had reached out to me with a short film she did back in 2008 or 2009 so this is the amazing thing about this time period i reviewed her film so she had reached out to thank me via email we became friends on facebook this past saturday First time I'd ever met her face to face, and yet we've had conversations. I, oh, sure. Producers have reached out to me. I, I think I don't think we we talked about it in the interview, but but where someone said, "Hey, are you familiar with Jen McGowan's work? It seems like you're friends on Facebook." How you know? And I said, "Yeah, and she's great." I we came up with this. We both said this is a quote she's probably going to steal for a film, which is. Uh, uh, we're friends on the internet and we're not mad at each other. So I guess she must be pretty good, <laughs> a pretty good person. So, you know, that's, uh, but it, we are an amazing time. There's like, I've been friends with her for years and we converse a lot and never met before Saturday. Good to so, get her on the podcast. There we go. And, and good luck at Sundance. And so let us talk some comics news first, shall we? Which we is, uh, this weekend, the internet was ripped in half. No, uh, fandom was, Saddened, I'm going to say this in a good way for a change, in that the story has, it's a happy story, it's just sad for fans who are going to say, no more artwork from this creator, yeah. no more stories from this creator. Yeah. George Perez, uh, who is the legendary co-creator, I mean, that's just the actual term, yeah. he's a legendary co-creator sure. of the new Teen Titans with Marv Wolfman. Mm-hmm. Uh for drawing the Avengers. I can't remember who the writer was at that, that run, but it was a very long, terrific. I know he, he collaborated with Kurt Buschek on a really cool run of the Avengers as well, but I think he may have risen in fame initially for drawing the Avengers back in the late seventies. Was Roy Thomas writing it? It might've been Roy Thomas. He might've done some for Roy Thomas. Uh, he also, I, I'm, I'm blanking now on even more. I know because I think I stop at new new Teen Titans, but he did a lot of runs on justice league as well. Mm -hmm. Um, he did some amazing work for a company called cross gen. I know you know what it is, but I'm sure that there are a lot of people I've been thinking about that a lot. That there's, there's some terrific, concepts in cross gen and and joy perez was very crucial to working on those yeah and disney bought the company even before uh marvel and they weren't all great but there were some just really news you know was just wonderful uh, ruse 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 Ruse. Ruse. yeah mark wade's book with jackson jackson guys yeah um yeah i mean but i I don't want to take away from george perez who's been this fantastic artist who uh is I'm going to go with infamous because one of the most famous works is he drew 
Crisis on Infinite Earths. Yes. And because he was the artist, as I, I think a couple of writers have said, is like, most artists say, can we cut down the character count? I want to be able to keep track. <laughs> and George Perez would be saying, are there only 100 of them? Because yes. I think I can fit 200 in this spread. Right, right, right. And I'll be damned. You know, they were detailed. You could pick out a group of 200 characters oh, on yeah. a George Perez spread, oh, yeah. and each and every one would be unique. His and posters are great, too, where yeah. he does the same kind of, like, every hero. Oh, I had a Crisis poster. I yeah. had a Titans poster on my wall yeah. for a long time in college. Uh, so, uh, you know, he's in his 60s, and he decided, and this is why I say it's a happy story. It's happy Good for because him. we're not going to see any more of his work, but it's not because he's dead. No, it's because he's just decided, and let's not rest on the laurels. There are, are not that many creators of his age yeah. who can say this, but he can. That through royalties, through, um, I, and I think partially because, look, there's a show on DC. The flagship of DC right. Universe Titans. is, you know, is based on his work. As is to some extent, Young Justice. Mm-hmm. You know, there would not be a Young Justice without certainly not without his new Teen Titans. Uh, certainly, his work on Avengers there influenced a lot mm-hmm. of this, and I would imagine they still sell a lot um, with the um, the JLA Avengers crossover. That trade probably did that. That miniseries sold very well. Yeah, back in the early aughts, and uh, so and he was the perfect. At a time at a time when they they were giving a bigger piece and and I, I will I will call this out too I think we'll just go we'll call it New Teen Titans money and Crisis on Infinite Earths mm-hmm. money which by the way there you go you want to know its influence its influence in the CW next oh, year yeah. they've already announced a year this in year. advance oh my God we're in 2019 <laughs> yes. uh, Red Skies anyway that you know that, that that's it they even used the logo he designed so right. Uh, right. no maybe maybe he was the designer of that of the logo but still the the book wouldn't exist without him and. Uh, you know, I, I, let's call out Paul Levitz, who was the publisher at the time, who made sure mm-hmm. that DC creators would get a piece if these things appeared in other media, and that set Mr. Perez up. Yeah, and and that's terrific. Uh, he'll still be making convention appearances. He's just not going to draw any books anymore. And I, I think, if I understood correctly, what he what he was saying is that if he's at a convention and people ask for sketches. If he's feeling good that day, and I don't mean that as a negative, it's like because he does have a, a couple of health issues he didn't yeah. get into. Um, if he's feeling good, he'll take a commission there at the convention, but people can't email him. He won't do things. He's not going to spend his days when he's not at conventions thinking about comics. He's going to be thinking about his life. I mean, I know yeah. he's married. He's got kids and grandkids. Enjoy, man. And and this is, I'm sure, I, everybody in the comics industry is saying just, it's sad, but thank you. Thank you for so much that has influenced and, and, and unlocked our imaginations. So yeah. another great person there. And, and it's nice to be able to say that while he's still around and can really and truly oh, yeah. has a lot of years ahead of him to enjoy. I think that uh, they should uh, – somebody at, at uh, Warner DC should do some kind of uh, roast event for him. Well, yeah. no, I wouldn't be surprised if they're, but you know, we've got a 50th anniversary Comic Con coming up, right? And you've got the DC, the new DC streaming channel. I mean, do some do some specials. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they will. But you know, DC's in a little bit of a mess today. So you know, is it? Yeah, just a little bit. How so? Hey, hey, there's restructured rumoring. They're saying editorial. Uh, nobody's losing their job, but departments are are shuffling. Because, you know, we've, they've had a, a, a couple of things in the past 
couple of months that have caught the attention of Warner Brothers, uh, the parent company, which is now AT&T owns, keeping track, AT&T owns Warner Brothers. So they were trying to keep things clean. You know, first we had the Batawang in uh, Batman Darkness. What is that called? Uh, Damned. Damned. I don't know. I didn't buy it. Uh, Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. I didn't buy it, but uh, it's only one more issue. Three issues. So I was going to get the trade, but now apparently there's not going to be a trade. They're saying, they're saying that w- that won't happen um, because of the controversy over the shadow of the bat, if you will. And uh, so on top of that, apparently in a Walmart issue of Batman, Tom King uh, or of Superman, uh, Tom King or Tom Taylor has just written a story in which Lois Lane is tortured. So with a book that is supposed to be reaching out to kids. Uh, to have uh, like a fa- right, you know, an endless loop of torturing and killing Lois Lane, this is not good. No, uh, no, 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 no. And uh, I believe someone also above at Warner Brothers. This is a rumor. We don't, you know, this is a supposition. Is notice that while the Hanna Barbera books have been really good and let's say better than they had a right to be, right? Um, I think I know where you're going. The controversy over say. The Flintstones actually being trenchant social satire. Right. Uh, the Snagglepuss Chronicles Indeed. recasting a pink cartoon panther. No, he's not a panther. He's a mountain lion. Uh, recasting him as Tennessee Williams. Right. Uh, and talking about gay rights in the 1950s. Right. Is not exactly what they had in mind. By letting DC have this. They should have. I believe Rough and Ready had a little uh, controversy. I have the trade paperback. I haven't finished it, so I need to to go back. And thank you for reminding me that I have it, and it's on a shelf somewhere. I think there's some punchlines without jokes or the other way around. There's some jokes without punchlines in which Howard Chicken. Yeah. So basically, it it has ruffled some feathers uh, up above. And, uh, you know, so, I mean, there are changes. And we know that there's, this is Wonder Comics. There's Brian Michael Bendis' new imprint. They've got a, a YA teen line that's going to, of graphic novels that will be separate. There is what was supposed to be, uh, Black Label, which is really now, after Batman Damned, is becoming All Star Superman, The Killing Joke, <laughs> Watchmen. Everything's getting reprinted is under it be Black, Black Label. Black Label still? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's going to be called Black Label, yeah. but it's really going to be the things that look, Basically, Warner Brothers, they have to say to Warner Brothers, you knew we had these. We made movies out of them. Right. You know, this is no surprise. Right. I think it's becoming more, they're trying, that Warner Brothers would more like that to be, this is the cream of the crop of right. mature stuff we had done. We're not doing new so, stuff. So, okay, so it's, it, when you say All-Star Superman, they're going to reprint the original and not do another one. Right. They're not going to do another one. They're yeah. going to just reprint Grant Morrison and Frank Whiteley's yeah. All-Star Superman. Brilliant storyline. Sure, but I don't yeah. want it in that flimsy, oversized. Uh, I, want a, I want a nice. I'm not going to buy it because I've already got it in three I, different editions. Yeah, I beforehand. want a hardcover. I want a deluxe, I'll take a deluxe hardcover yeah. edition. If that's what they give me with with the black label right, on it, I'll right, deal right. with it. I'll deal with it because right. it's a great book. Absolutely. I, and I need a, I need a reading copy. Yes. Um, so anyway, that's that's what there's all this going on. And we said Walmart has added uh, the Flash and Swamp Thing, hundred page spectaculars, and they're really trying. How much to, do they get for those? They're four ninety nine. Oh, that's they're, awesome. 
and, and so it's like 10 to 15 yeah but and i say if the main audience is if the goal is to get comics at a reasonable price point mm-hmm. in the hands of new readers and by new readers i mean the kids yeah. that are watching these cartoons that love these characters because they're playing with the toys it, it, it's it's fantastic we've said we had said that for years before they revived them is what do we miss most 100 page spectaculars oh yeah like the hundred page spectaculars, they're like ten. They're serialized stories, ten pages of new material in each issue, and then the rest are reprints of, like some from Rebirth, some going back a little further. Again, like what you would have picked up. So, but they're all new to somebody, right? And you know, so to me, it's a great, it's a great thing. I can't find them in my local Walmart because yeah. I don't know which day it comes yeah. out. I, I I don't have a Walmart close to me, and I still stand by it. Oh. Oh well, I don't get it. I'm waiting for the trade paperback that collects all the all new the stuff. new material. Yeah. I you know, and I don't need the original. I don't need the collector's item edition. No, I no. just want to be able to read it. Yeah. So then they just moved into Target. So you asked me what is Primal Age? Okay. Primal Age is a Funko line of action figures, which recasts the DC universe. As if they were He-Man and the Masters of the Universe figures. So they've all got that squat, bow-legged thing. And as if they were sword and sorcery characters. Kind of like, remember the Remco had the the Warlord line right. in the 80s? Right. No, yeah. So this is it. They're recast as fantasy characters. Marv Wolfman was hired to write it. So Target exclusively has a 100-page comic book that is... DC Universe Primal Age. Interesting. To sell alongside, by the way, the figures are only available at Target. Target, of course. But when I went to Target on the launch day, Friday, of course, as I have much bemoaned, here's here's the issue. The two places that I live, one of which is a place you live, yes. they are two of the most nerd per capita uh-huh. <laughs> areas of the country. Yes. So believe me, People take pity on us here at Fanboy Planet. It's like anything vaguely cool, and in particular, meant for children. Uh, <laughs> there is a plague of high-waisted nerd locusts that come in on the. You sure it isn't actually kids getting in there? The one the you know, like four and five-year-olds with you know eight bucks in their pocket. No, okay. Do four and five-year-olds have Apple Pay? Which, granted, I don't think Target takes yet, but they just announced they're going right, to. Right, they're right, going to. Right. So, anyway, uh, so I just think one, I you know, that, that they brought in Marv Wolfman to do it. To hear, you know, Marv, this guy who has created so much for Marvel and DC, and in 2019 they have found something new that will come if when kids start realizing who that people actually write these books, you know, there there's going to be some kid out there reading Primal Age, and then gets older and remembers, hey, who wrote Marv Wolfman? He's one of my favorite because he loved that book, and that's what I hope. Okay. If I if we can't get a hold of copies, I hope they're in the hands of a kid who reads that thing to pieces, literally over and over, oh, yeah. and it falls apart. And it disintegrates, and he, and he because, ingests it by breathing. Because he yes. loves those figures. He loves playing with their toys. By the time I got to target, they had the villains still. I didn't find any superheroes, Okay, but they had a Joker that looked like kind of Skeletor ish and uh, a King shark, a Mr. Freeze, a lot of bat villains. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think I saw Lex Luthor and you know, so 
you know, uh, along those same lines, I want, want to ask you a couple of questions because I realized I was going through previews magazine. And I was looking at what's coming out in the next couple of months, and there's going to be an omnibus edition of Zero Hour. And I realized that I wasn't reading DC when Hero Hour came out. Uh, Zero Hour came out. I was. I I think I've read maybe two issues of something that happened during that time frame. And on top of that, I do currently have a subscription to the DC streaming service. Yeah. Which supposedly DC has, Universe, call it DC what it Universe. Is. Yeah. Which supposedly has comics too. It does. I could find one book that was from Zero Hour. And no, the weakness of DC Universe is from the comic side. Yeah. They're curating it. Uh, unlike Marvel Comics Unlimited, Which and I, I think when the criticism, it, when they get enough feedback, I'm hoping they will change this. Right now, they are using corporate synergy. The books you can get, most of them, they throw in a couple of extra weird out there things uh-huh. to say, like, look, we're really, we're really diverse. But really, most of the focus is you can read a lot of Titans. You can read a lot of Justice League, a right. lot of Aquaman is available, a lot of projects. Batman. What are the ma- but I was able to pick up, uh, download and read the um, Prez miniseries okay. that was released as part of the New Fifty Two, or was of Rebirth, right? Or or no, was that DCU? It wasn't the original one, but it was no, it was. I a, think it was part of. They had this thing that people forget about between Rebirth and New 52 yeah. called DCU, where they were kind of thinking these I think alternate... that's when it was. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I, I read it, and uh, I really enjoyed it, and it, and I was, as I was reading it, going, why am I enjoying it? Oh, it's the guy who wrote the Flintstones and, uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, the Stagopus Chronicles. So... Um, Totally. Warner Brothers, I'm going to call this out, man. You should totally adapt that six-issue Prez miniseries because as a satire, that film would kill right now. It is so brilliant oh, and yeah. so ad- so more so than – the original Prez was on it too. So I read actually went back and read all the original Joe Simon. Right. Uh, I think it was and Jerry Grand. I think it's and Jerry Grandinetti. So I read those as well, but I first had read the modern one. So – they had those. They have a couple of like World War II things, but most of it is this. So I'm with you in that what I was hoping was I would stumble across something I'd always meant to read. Right, and you could read through the whole series. And, and you can't. And you yeah, can. they had one issue of Superman. It was mullet Superman. And uh, and he's it's like mid-stream in, in uh, Zero Hour and people And we were talking about this last week. So like yeah. one of the, or the last episode, one of the, which, which crises were there. Right. And actually, somebody called out online, and it wasn't directly in response to the podcast, but somebody I followed said uh, they counted Convergence. I totally forgot about oh, Convergence. Yeah. And there was still another. I think we had said you had called out you know, that Rebirth should count. Yeah. But there was still yet a, there was another event that I had completely forgotten about. So, you know, that's – it's it's not a great from that angle. It's nice that you can download books mm-hmm. and you can read back issues, but it's not. But well, you know what? The, you tell the, me. You 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 jumped onto Marvel Comics Unlimited far sooner than I did. Yeah. My guess from the way I get press releases saying we've just added another thousand books. Yeah. Is when they started, they weren't all that impressive either. Because uh, they were scrambling to catch up and digitize. no, but they did do things in sequence. You you could you could read through a number of books and you weren't left hanging. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but my, my the other the question I have uh, the 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 bah, the follow up to this is so was zero hour something to be worth getting in an omnibus edition where you could read it all through all the different issues of was, it? Was was Secret Wars? No. Well, Marvel did that. Okay. Um, you know what? I don't want to say actually zero hour was uh so that was dan jurgen's masterpiece uh-huh. that was really um his take on crisis and there were things about zero hour that i really like and i don't know what's getting included in the omnibus there were issues in that there were crossover issues that i still will remember moments from uh so let me you know to kind of reiterate Zero Hour was also trying to fix Armageddon 2001, when, which was a crossover in 91, uh-huh. where the, they created the character Wave Rider. Right. Wave Rider had come back from a dystopian future where one of the superheroes had gone bad. He didn't know who Monarch was. Right. Okay, he, but he just knew. It ended up being Captain Adam, right? No, it didn't. See, it this didn't. is the problem. Okay. The fan press, somehow it leaked out that Captain Adam was uh. supposed to be Monarch. And so what was happening that year in the annuals, and this is for people listening, is that Wave Rider would go and was invisible. He By going back in time, he transformed into this thing that kind of existed outside of, if the word sounds familiar, Wave Rider is now the ship on DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Right, right. But the actual character was a man who got transformed. Right. And... When he he would touch the heads of invisibly of heroes and see their futures, so all these interconnected annuals one summer it was so clear it was being it was leading towards Captain Adam and the last annual the last page of the last annual before getting into the actual uh, Armageddon two thousand one one shot which would reveal everything was him reaching out to shake hands with Captain Adam that had leaked. So at the very last minute, editorially, they decided to change it to Hawk uh, of Hawk and Dove. Nah, yeah. Even though, and this bothered me back then, uh, Wave Rider had seen Hawk and Dove's future and, it didn't. and knew that they weren't, that, that they were not Monarch. Yeah. So in Justice League Extreme or Justice League Task Force, it turned out that there was that's how they split Captain Adam and Nathaniel Adam. So that the original Nathaniel Adam was being held in stasis in the quantum field and his time there then ended up transforming him into the second monarch. Okay, because I have a trade that has that part in it. The first monarch, Hawk, Hank Hall, uh, transformed he went through some kind of time transformation and became extant and extant. His whole thing was that he wanted to undo Dawn's death. So from that, from a storytelling perspective, it was not wrong that Hank Hall was tormented by his brother's death in crisis on infinite earths. Right. And you had Dawn Granger who Hank and Dawn D A W N are the characters on the show Titans right, right now, right. Um, that she was kind of there to balance him out, to pull him back from the ultraviolence, right. as his brother had once done. And so he became extant, and 
he started messing with time. This also involved parallax. So how Jordan had gone bad. This all came back. There were moments. So basically, history around you know, continuity was getting rewritten all around. Ultimately, Parallax wanted the power of Extant because then that meant he could undo everything and start everything over, which is all Parallax's motivation really was. Uh-huh. Was he didn't want the destruction of Coast City after the death of Superman? Right. So I hope you're all still with us. A- a- anyway, so Extant then was messing with continuities, trying to find the best timeline to bring it forth. One that Hank would, uh, that Dawn would have survived in that all these other, the best things. And so it was really put into place because just like in crisis of infinite earths, editorially, some writers felt kind of constrained. It opened a Pandora's box in that we see this happen. Like when we did, when we did new 52, the weird, when we did, when DC did the new 52, there was this weird edict that no characters could be married. So Aquaman and, Ma- right. and Mira were not married. Right. So it was the, you know, Superman and Lois Lane weren't married, blah, blah, blah. You restarted, blah, 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 right. because they thought this is too limiting. Bull crap. You know, yeah. have you noticed Superman and Lois Lane are married again? Because it's not marriage. It's editorial <laughs> let me, writing. Let, let me be careful as I say this. It's not marriage that takes removes conflict <laughs> <laughs> in storytelling. When you're married happily, it's wonderful. It's blissful. But um, there could still be conflict. Yeah, sure. Shh. Yeah. Your wife's in another room. Anyway, uh, but I remember vividly there was one thing, one moment where – for a brief time, Batman returned to a Gotham City where his parents had never been murdered. Hmm. And once he accepted that, like a bunch of different continuities were playing around him, he accepted too late that that the Gotham City he was in was the one where his parents were still alive. And it, it just chilled me in college. And the And the woman I was dating at the time... It was one of those books. She picked it up and she read it and she started crying uh. because he he drove back to Wayne Manor and it was one minute too late. The continuity had shifted again and it was and he, he was going to see his parents and he and he said, mom, dad, I'm and Wayne Manor's all dark and shuttered yeah. because that's where it was in his continuity. But what stayed with that was they had decided they wanted to have an excuse for saying that um that he had never caught Joe Chill. Oh. So this is, you know, there's one of those arguments we make in Batman. Yeah. To me, uh, the fact that, you know, if Batman caught his parents' killer and still Batman, that speaks to Batman. That speaks to right, heroism. Right, right. I am at odds with several people who are in editorial control of, of many of these characters that I don't think that tra- that tragedy tragedy may create a hero, Tragedy does not have to define motivate. the hero beyond yeah. and motivate. Right, right, right. A, a Batman who has put his own demons to rest and is trying to... He understands demons and he understands what they do to people and that's why he and fights. And so he's trying to fight right. fight them. Other people's demons, Right. to me, that's noble. Yes, I totally agree. And yeah. if, if you don't have him catch it, then why isn't he obsessing about catching him instead of fighting right. all these other people right. too? So it's a- Zero hour allowed for a character that uh, – for Superman that could rewrite the continuity. So suddenly there was a person, a baby who was born at the same moment that the ship crashed to Earth. So the radiation from the ship affected a, a baby in Smallville and he became the villain conduit. 
I had the action figure. Hmm. You probably don't remember Conduit no. because after his original story, they realized, oh, he's not that good a character. But they had rewritten it to kind of give like this parallel and they made the news again because that's the other thing is, and we still see this in comics today and it's like uh, a mistake is they're chasing literally news cycles. Can you make it in USA Today or can you make it in the New York Times? I, I don't blame DC. I've, t- I've, I've talked to Mike Carlin about this, about like with the death of Superman was he makes this joke on the videos, but he said it to me personally. It was a slow news day. When they decide, they just wanted to tell a story with the death of Superman, but it right. made the New York Times. Right, right, right. Yeah, so. So, bringing this back, popping it back a little bit. Did we have a topic? So, yeah. so the um, the omnibus edition, mm-hmm. I was going, yeah, but I've got so many omnibuses, and this is an event, and I don't know if it's going to be that good, and it's a bunch of, whenever they, they stream Let together. Let me suggest this title of the episode, You Can't Have Too Many Omnibuses. <laughs> well, that's a good one. I like that one. <laughs> So, so if if you, when you string together an event that goes through multiple books, you end up with a lot of stories that come in fractured and go out fractured. That they that, were zero hour specials. Okay, they were so zero that's hour specials. Then. That and there were and it was the first time I'd ever also seen actual issue zeros. Uh, so out of this, let me give you a reason to read to read zero hour. Um, no, no, no. Because no, you keep on taking me back. <laughs> into the, because out of it was uh, was Starman. Oh, good. Okay. Starman number zero launched out. Starman, the series launched out. There were about five other series because, of course, every crossover must be an excuse to launch several new books. Sure, sure, Which I will also say. Otherwise, why not? In the DC restructuring out of that age of heroes, I know this is going to hurt you, that uh, damage just got canceled. Only Only two remain standing. And that is the Terrifics. Thank heavens. Yes, that one's still Which is terrific. And uh, and the silencer? the silencer, yeah, which I think was a Silencer's great character. Has been on Arrow now, so has know. she? I haven't yeah. watched. Okay, great. So um, here's here's the here's the catch. So I was flipping through one of the latest Conan books, and there was an advertisement for uh, the Conan omnibus, and in that, and of course, I'm not, oh, there you go. So here it says uh, January 2019. Available in print and digital for an omnibus edition. Yeah, they do that. So I'm thinking, and that that for me solves the problem of go on your Hoopla app. Yeah, I mean libraries have been checking out omnibuses digitally. Really? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah. Okay. So I'm, but I could, I could, you know, omnibuses just are huge and they fill up the bookshelf. But if I got some digital omnibuses and then I don't have to, I don't have to deal with. They're huge and they fill up a hard drive. Navigating through the the web interface to read the comics in the, these. Sure. That where they where it ends up that you're you're so far into it and then they've stopped putting that one into the archive. So anyway, that's. Our lives sound tragic when you put it that way. They. They're not tragic. They're just dramatic. No, 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 but I, you know, I have run into exactly what I said about omnibuses. Is I love the way they look on the shelf. Yes, and then I find that I read two or three issues, and then I get distracted, and I and I put them back on the shelf, and I look at them and go, I'm too tired to lift that. Well, I I can just see you laying on the couch underneath your weighted blanket, underneath your weighted no, no, omnibus. No, the weighted blanket does not go on the couch. Okay, well, wh- wherever you are under your weighted blanket, you have the extra reassurance of the weight of the omnibus on top of you as well. Yeah, well, that's, that's how they'll find me, dead, <laughs> suffocated under the combined weight of 
of the he had si- five omnibuses of the on him. Silver Age Doom Patrol and Howard's a big book and the it's beautiful yeah and the and the Howard the Duck omnibus <laughs> and a weighted blanket and I'm just, the detective being why was he reading these together you know why and this is why it's not a vidcast because he didn't want to see the face I just made. <laughs> Also, that is a lovely evening gown. I didn't want to say anything earlier, but you, you look stunning in that gown. Thank you. Uh, so let's get to what's in the bag. Uh, <laughs> so the, the pick of the week. We're down to the pick, of, pick the of the week. But I like calling it what's in the bag. So my, I it was not hard to choose. It was between two issues, and I read I read one of them. I go, nope, that's not going to happen because that was total bait and switch. Um, and I, I love being able to recommend this one because there's no reason for someone not to pick this book up because it costs a dollar. It's a true believer's number one. What if they want chips? If they want chips, they can get another dollar somewhere. No, it's not that easy for everybody. Okay. But- uh, don't have the chips. They're bad for you. Instead, get the true believer's number one, Conan the Barbarian, The Secret of Skull River, which um why is kazar on that cover this is this is what's crazy lovely about this the, although it says conan Bar- the barbarian i don't think he's done this before although this says conan the barbarian on the cover and it is a lovely neil adams cover it is an absolutely stunning neil yes. adams cover with conan there with a with an axe and a spear and then but kazar the logo looks to me Zabu. like this am i right this is that's actually a savage sword the issue, the the story that's in here was in Savage Sword number five. It feels like a black and white book. The logo is, is a black and white book. It is a black and white. And on top of that, it is a is a, a um, Jim Starlin Conan story. It's Jim Starlin and Al Milgram, but I'm, I'm not seeing Milgram in here at all. I'm seeing Starlin. I think maybe mm-hmm. Milgram cleaned up the inks a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I just want to hand you this. This is... This is Starlin at his peak as far as page layout and even in the storylines. And when you read this, you'll see a lot of character uh, development, character design that got picked out of later. There's a character, the, the bad guy, one of the bad guys in this, has a costume that almost is lifted full cloth, so to speak, for full da- loincloth for Dax the Destroyer. Drax. 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 Not the Dax, the Dax husband the, of Kristen Bell. Yes. Drax the destroyer. Destroyer of our hopes and dreams. Oh, no, destroyer of Kristen Bell. Um, no, how dare you, sir. Uh, so, uh, But I see. I just turned to that character. Yes. But, but it is it is noteworthy on a couple of a couple of It's a wonderful story. It's, again, Starlin at the top the height. It is an example of why black and white stories are so great because you can see all of the all of the well, definition uh, and detail when black and white stories that are drawn specifically to be black and yes, white yes because i think this is why people turned away from like showcase editions and right where and they just grayscaled things in yeah and this is this is definitely i mean starlin does great black and white stuff his black black inks and stuff and coming things coming out of the darkness or into the darkness or whatever um this is you can discuss this book uh, like three or four different ways, and it costs a dollar. And we've got to call out if you are interested, if, if if you're someone who really hasn't encountered Conan, and one of these things catches your attention, um, you know, I'm still saying I, I don't know how long before Disney buys Conan, but, yeah, but that's a floating IP. If Marvel has it, Disney's got an interest. And in, once once they crack the code again, not with any educated. This is just an educated guess. Once they crack the code of how to handle owning harder material, uh-huh. like will they have a Deadpool three 
under Marvel Studios. Yeah. And once people get used to there's R-rated material again, there used to be. Hollywood Pictures and Touchstone sure, occasionally sure, sure. played in that. We, I think a play could be a good case for for Conan to, get, to be purchased, to be made. But not only, you know, so we've got, there's Conan the Barbarian, the original Marvel That's the one years. I was just talking about. Okay, yes, actually Chuck Surface showed, shared this cover with me because he didn't like this cover. And uh, It's also available with the Barry Windsor Smith. Yeah, no, that's the one cover. he wants. He yeah, wants yeah. to make sure he's going to buy it in a store rather than Amazon. Yeah. So he wants to be sure that he has the cover he likes. Right. I don't like that omnibuses have alternate covers. It's like it's, it's evil. It's just, but yeah, it bothers back, me. All the way, the first one I saw that had it was the original Master of Kung Fu omnibus had right two different covers. So then there's a Savage Sword of Conan, which is this is a reprint right from Savage Sword of Conan. But this is going to be a new book for Marvel, right? No, no, but there's an omnibus for that. There's a Savage yes, Sword of yes. Conan omnibus, and I will probably buy Conan. that one. Oh, I know yeah. you will. And I don't know that I'll buy the Conan one because I mean, I've got all the original issues. Oh, sure. And, yeah, and you, you mentioned that. And I've bought the graphic novels that collected the original issues. And, and the Dark Horse stuff is there as Conan, yes, Chronicles, Conan Chronicles, Chronicles being reproduced, yeah. reprinted by Marvel. So there's all, you know, seriously, if you're thinking, now is the time I'm going to get into Conan. And you can try. They're, they're, they, they've got they're, like eight different. There are at least six different. I Conan. have that book. I do too. Yeah. This is uh, King Conan also came out under True Believers again for a dollar. And this is the reprint of uh, Con- King Conan number one against yeah. Thothamon. You know, I, I mean, we're being dismissive of saying like it's only a dollar. But really, the it's, fact that they've got these seminal issues yeah. that are for the most part have been really good standalone stories in a way yes. that they don't do often enough today mm-hmm. that you know for a buck like it was four five months ago there was a fanta- a run of fantastic four yes. true believers you could pick those things up yes, and you, you could give it to a kid you know yeah. and i don't know if conan and would, they were safe to give to kids but when i was a kid but even conan i was reading those in like fourth or fifth grade the colored and comics like, were still pretty safe yeah the black and white. The black and white. Yeah, yeah. They actually came out with a mature label, a mature label on them when they came out. Yeah, the black and well, white. Savage it, Sword. Because the magazines didn't have to be Comics Code Authority. Right. They were magazines. They were right. under a different set of rules. So right. that's why you got some fantastic horror. You got really what I still say is the best Doc Savage run. Mm-hmm. Those eight issues oh, that yeah. Marvel did of Doc Savage as a black and white magazine. Yes, those stories were great. Yep. Uh, David Avalone comes close. Yep, but those still are in my heart. So my recommendation this week is from Wonder Comics, Brian Michael Bendis and David Walker, uh, Naomi, and as uh, so this is this one just came out of nowhere. I mean, well, it is a character that's never existed yeah. before. Uh, she is an original creation. The biggest new mystery in the DC universe begins here. So Wonder Comics is aimed at kids, well, kids, my son's age. You know, we're talking fourteen, fifteen, trying to be speaking. I think to be honest. I think that Bendis has a teen daughter, and we'll just say, who's the audience? Mm-hmm. He's writing something specifically sure. for her. and uh, But in this case, it's a collaboration with David F. Walker. They made this vow a year ago when Bendis was sick. Let's let's collaborate. Let's do this character. Let, oh, let's do a character. Let's do a book. Bendis found his way into it, brought Walker on board. And, of course, you know, I mean, we both love David Walker as a writer. He's done some terrific, terrific stuff. What I love about this is this is like somewhere in the Pacific Northwest. Superman in the first two pages, Superman and Mongol crash into the town. So this is all from the townspeople's point of view. Oh, I did see a couple of pages. And on Naomi this. Yes. figures out 
that uh, there's an urban legend that it's not the first time that some super incident has happened. Mm. So at least for the first issue, it's about the bystanders. Mm -hmm. But what I think teeing up the series, aside from I'm sure there's more, is an angle that I've honestly never thought about before and leave it to these guys to point it out to me that Naomi is adopted and they immediately draw the parallel. She's with her therapist talking about, you know, teenager having problems and, and they draw the parallel of the therapist points out, well, you're drawn to Superman because he's adopted. Mm-hmm. You feel different. He probably felt different and now he's Superman. Right. And that idea of Superman is hope. You know, it was just, it was just a viewpoint I'd, I'd never Never read before. The art is terrific. I like the story. You know, the story is the real action is sidelined to the emotional development of these characters of Naomi's world. And then the mystery starts to unlock in the last couple of pages. But this is a, a good heavy story. Uh, heavy meaning long. 399. A lot of page count. I don't. I, I, I didn't count it It looks thicker than normal. Yeah. Yeah. But. You know, because they know who their they know who their goal is. I, you know what? And I got a free digital comic edition of this. I may actually put this on so that I can I can look it over on my iPad later because right. I just I really really liked this book. And I sometimes I recommend things just because of the concepts. Uh-huh. I read this and went. What often happens with stories that are aimed at teens now is. I'm just frustrated they weren't here 10 years ago when my daughter was really hungry right. for the things in Marvel and DC that would speak to her. And it's finally happening, and now I think you know she's moved on. And that's okay, but if you've got a kid that is looking for the... If you've got a kid who's looking for this kind of thing, this is the kind of thing that your kid is looking for. Right. It, it, it really is. This is... This is a, just a, a terrific book, and it's a book that obviously embraces diversity, and it is... It's talking about the people who are really living in the DC universe and not just the people that are smashing things. When you talk about the fact that this book is this issue is mostly character development and introducing characters and giving mm-hmm. the motivation background that kind of stuff, that's really um speaks to the idea that they're writing a longer term story and that's the way most novels right. will start off. But I also I also don't feel ripped off. Like if I'm by oh, 399, no, no, no. you know. No, no. But I mean that is yeah, yeah. people are like looking for action. It's like, no, it's there. You don't miss it. It's there. It's clear that Superman and but Mongol I, are I fighting in the background. I think it's a good development because and I think it's actually part because they'll they're looking at eventually collecting it into a graphic novel and the the arc is going to be paced differently than individual issues. No, it be. is clear. And it's like when when Bendis did Scarlet, which I think the mm-hmm. trade just came out again through DC, uh, which I recommend. Uh, is the you know it, it is just he writes for graphic novels. I am sometimes frustrated by that because I miss the uh, the solid old school of serialization right. where it's you know three to nine you get a complete story. And you're done. But this is one of the few where I felt like no no no. I'm really good with this chapter. I need to savor this. I might need to revisit a time or two. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not the intended audience, but I got it. And I really love it. So there there we go. Let's move to some movie news, shall we? We should. Oscars nominations came out this week. And it's, it's a good week to be a nerd. Uh, Black Panther got a Best Picture nomination. And I cannot. <laughs> I, no, I can believe you did that. But. Okay. 
go ahead say it wakanda forever wakanda wakanda uh wakanda don't, don't. Oh, that's a saturday night live that's a saturday night live sketch <laughs> i'm not purposely mocking uh they did it first uh but anyway that uh you know i mean this is one of the and, and spider-man into the spider-verse was uh nominated for best animated feature and honestly that, uh, that's gotta that's, win and totally because it's bro you know regardless of subject matter it it broke the limits of what animation could do in presentation new the animation techniques However, it is also a damn good movie. Yes. But, um, you know, everybody's excited about Black Panther getting it. And like, oh, this is great. the first superhero. It's like, we've arrived. I'm like, in all ways that matter, we already arrived. Right. You know, I and I, I, so I still want to keep this with a grain of salt. If it loses, don't riot. And, and, and. <laughs> Uh, what would a nerd riot look like? People stubbing, their, know, to- stubbing their toes on garbage cans. Please remember what happened when the the, the <laughs> first time there was nerd on nerd violence at Comic Con. Oh yes, a mechanical pencil was stabbed into someone's eye. Well, and near it, near their eye. Near, well, it. I know near. Okay, yeah. they they wrote something mean on the chair and it returned <laughs> into a set. No, I I'm sorry. Look, I'm mocking myself. I know this. I yeah. know that. You know. Yeah. Um, but uh, it, it was. Uh, the thing I I keep when because we just attended the Cinequest opening uh, launch party last night not the opening the launch the announcement the of what was preview. coming the press preview well yeah, media launch yeah, yeah that's how they call it because you know, it's not much of a press preview yet but and we're talking with with some filmmakers that are excited and so forth and, and I just I feel like what is the mark of a good film is that it sticks it just sticks in people's memories and an award doesn't do that you know or it doesn't matter in that context right when i i was explaining to somebody i said like i'm old enough to remember uh i think the first year that i really cared about the academy awards was of course 77 star wars was nominated for best picture and it lost to annie hall a fact that i remember mainly because there was the mad star wars musical where when they went when Obi-Wan Kenobi would did the thing on the Millennium Falcon of, oh, the millions of lives, you know, crying out. And it said, like, no, I hear the the uh, Star Wars fans upset that Annie Hall beat, <laughs> you know. And, and so I remember that, and I think, right now, how many times have I watched Annie Hall compared to how many oh, times sure. that I've watched Star Wars? In 1980, Raiders of the Lost Ark was nominated for Best Picture. It lost two? No idea. Chariots of Fire. Good movies. Well, I've never even seen Chariots of Fire. No? Now we all know the song, the theme. Evangelist. Yeah. 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 Although I, I, you know, I think uh, Blade Runner is better. Yeah. But uh, anyway, you know. So the thing is, it's like but nobody watches Chariots of Fire now. They talk about it. You know, it's become a cliche within of the slow mo running and the, right, and, right. and people do that. You see that on comedy shows. But Raiders of the Lost Ark is the movie people talk That's about. The thing the about the Academy Awards, you know, so we've already we've already won. We have the thing we haven't done is the Academy are the ones that vote on this. The Academy aren't they? Don't go out and pay to see movies. They no. go. They go. They watch a screener. The screen screeners and stuff. They are not. They are not really. It's much more the people's choice is a much more uh, relevant. Even even the God the the. Uh, Golden Globes. Yeah, the the foreign. Uh, it's the Golden Globes. Yeah, yes. I'm trying to think what they. It's Hollywood the, Foreign Press Association. Holland, foreign Press Association. The HFPA. Yes, um, they're more in tune with what what makes a good movie and. Uh, the, well, you know, I don't even want to say that they're more in tune with what people like. Yes. 
uh, I think there are good films that, that people don't like. Th- that pe- no, I, I do think that. I uh-huh. think there are things that, that like, uh, you know, that there are, there are movies you like that maybe you're in the minority. Sure. There are movies I like that I'm, I'm in the minority. Um, and even still the Academy is like, I saw this, oh, how could they ignore Hereditary? Like, you know what? Everybody who wants to see Hereditary is seeing Hereditary. Uh-huh. Winning the Academy Award isn't going to do anything other than okay, you know. And, and I don't mean to dis- dismiss because you know what I, I watched it this weekend. Creepy movie, fantastic performances all around by everyone in that in that movie, I, I, with the exception of Gabriel Byrne. I can't tell if he was supposed to have his natural Irish accent or okay. just halfway through decided I'm too tired. I don't care to. anymore. <laughs> uh, but everybody else was was, was he was good. It was just the the wandering accent was weird. But I would have seen that whether it got a nomination or not. It didn't get a nomination. Sure, I, I saw it anyway. And I you know so that's what I say. No, Look, mostly, it is nice. It's mostly, it is nice. It's mostly. I will cred. I will scream with delight if Black Panther wins. Yes, but in all other ways, all, in all the ways that really matter is no matter what wins, if it's not Black Panther. I'm still going to be watching Black Panther years from now yes. because it's a movie that get that gets to my the my heart. It gives me everything that I want a movie to be, you know. So and the same with Into the Spider Verse is, I mean that's got to win. But uh, <laughs> but but mainly because you know Into the Spider Verse was just so it's so groundbreaking in so many ways. Yeah. And uh, you know no love for Aquaman, but okay. But that's my point. I'll still be watching Aquaman. I, I, I whereas. If I see Roma, which is supposed to be pretty good, yeah. which is on uh, Netflix or right favorite. now, uh, or, or the fa- which I'd like to see the favorite. I yeah. like all the actors involved. Yeah, I've got them both uh, in my queue. I just haven't got to. You know that that uh, the 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 point is, I'll still watch Aquaman more than I will have rewatched them. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I, and so all the ways the wind. So that's it. But I, I just like it because it gives the artists that work on it some cred that helps them get additional films. That's so true. Not necessarily for the film itself, but for the people who work yeah, on it. And I will it. say there was a big overlook and and James Wan had said that, you know, he was upset that it was criminal that they were disqualified for whatever reason in the preliminary for special visual effects. I went back and saw Aquaman a second time. And I know you said like the final battle seems very video gameish, which I totally agree with. I'm yeah. uh but the fact that every strand of hair underwater is animated. Yes. And I really couldn't tell if you, you know, I mean. I, well, it, it's floating in the water. In the back in the yeah. back of my head, of course it was. Mm-hmm. But it that never distracted me. That's Those those are what special effects should be. Visual effects should be seamless. It's like David Fincher. Every David Fincher movie that gets nominated for visual effects, people go, why? What visual effects were there? And they say, "See, to you know that, that they're so good that you that you don't recognize." Like every movie David Fincher makes, that's a period piece. He just does them as you know they're CG yeah. because, like when he did Zodiac, San Francisco doesn't look like that anymore. He filmed on San Francisco, but he green screened so he could make San Francisco look like what San Francisco looked like in 1970. And you know, so to me, Aquaman, a lot of the effects were. Were invisible to me, even though I, yeah, clearly they had to happen. I think my my suspicion. I'm not trying to diss it at all. Well, I don't know what the reasoning is. The, I, I'm no, not no, upset the, about the it. The techniques that are used, I would bet you, is is a fairly simple bit of code that's written, and then it's it's actually painted to the thing. And Maybe then it, then it takes over. 
So there's not an artist moving that hair. Maybe it's just like I don't. It's I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know what the reasoning is. Yeah. I just yeah, I agree. Um, you know, it, I was actually more impressed with the focal changes that, as from the water. You know, when, yeah. when, when the water's moving by and there's like very subtle differences in the focus and the right. distances. And, and you know, and this is not the first major acknowledgement. Let's say you know, best picture in 2000 was Return of the King. So mm-hmm. we've been acknowledged. I know that's not superhero, and that's the thing is you know they're qualifying now. It's for a superhero movie to be nominated. Well. Okay, you keep moving the bar then. Yeah. If you want to be accepted for sci-fi and fantasy, right. these nominations have happened and one has won. Uh, Heath Ledger was nominated for Best Supporting Actor for The Dark Knight posthumously. I think he won. I don't remember. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not positive. Someone can – let somebody else email okay. it because it doesn't matter. It's a nice conversation. But, yeah, remind me. Um, last year, Logan was nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so there's been an acknowledgement. Like, this is its own legitimate genre. You, you can't know, ignore it. Form. It's just too big. Yeah. yeah. You know, as was Get Out. So when people are complaining about the lack of nomination for Hereditary, horror is sneaking in. And what what needs to happen is more and more, and this is what's happening, Academy members who really like those movies. And the more people get cast in these and work in these as well, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you think think about it, like, a movie that got Nicole Kidman uh, glammed up her second DC Universe role, of course, because uh, she was Dr. Chase Meridian in Batman mm-hmm. Forever way back when. And uh, But at the same time, she's got this movie. Oh, now I can't remember what the name of the movie is. She has this movie where she's totally de-glammed playing a beat-up L.A. cop uh, that was like her big Oscar bid movie. But I'm like, I'll tell you what. Uh, when I went to the multiplex that had that movie and Aquaman, I went to Aquaman, you know, <laughs> so it, it's just kind of, eh, we'll see. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so that's exciting. As a, as a result of Aquaman, D, Warner Brothers, not DC, announced just the crazy that Worlds of DC will now all be standalone movies. That they're no longer trying to create a coherent universe. I'm like, really? With your, uh, <laughs> with your Joker origin movie that, uh, had Joaquin Phoenix and not uh, not the guy from Suicide, Jared Leto. You know, even though you've got a Suicide Squad 2 coming, stop saying it. Just right. acknowledge they work together when they need to. Or it's a vaguely shared universe just like, just as we were joking last night with Chris Garcia. Yeah. The way DC Comics were in the 70s. Exactly. There's an editor paying attention to all this. <laughs> Sometimes. Uh, that's okay because Shazam's coming out with an obvious nod to... Freddie Freeman knows who Superman and Batman are, and not as comic book characters. They're right. people in that read world. Comics in, in that you know, world. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting because uh, I, I do want to say on this that with Shazam, uh, Stephen Libby, you know, we've met at conventions, mm-hmm. rest for Cinema Blend. He finally posted his article today. He got an invite through Cinema Blend to the set of Shazam. Oh, nice! And so the story that he was able to to post was how Zachary Levi had refused had had wanted nations that refused passed on the initial audition because he already knew that famously Dwayne Johnson was cast as black uh, Adam. And he said, I'm not, you know, I'm a TV actor. They're not going to want me. So he just didn't bother. And then it turned out as they were developing the script that the director wanted Zach Levi. So they called him in to read for something else. And he came back and said, and they said, uh, actually, would you mind reading Shazam? You know how you passed on that a couple months ago? We really think you you're you're the guy. So you know he's glad that he went through that. But I thought it was funny, reminding me that his reason for not doing it was because he thought he would go to toe to toe with Dwayne Johnson, who's not in it. Which 
Or is he? Oh. Let me say let me throw that out there. Is it possible that Black Adam will just show up? That at would the be end? really cool if it did. And no one knows, and we're just predicting it now and being like, hee hee, I'm gonna call it. I don't know if it because Mark Strong is Savannah, we know that. Uh-huh. Dwayne Johnson stopped talking about Black Adam. It would be the only here here's the here's the why it probably isn't happening. Okay. Is because I know Dwayne Johnson can't keep his mouth shut. <laughs> um However, if they beat that, that's impre- a surprise of if Dwayne Johnson as Black Adam walks in in the last in the mid credit sequence at the end of Shazam. I would give you I would give you this if they told him that they wanted to keep it a secret because he would blow the minds of everybody on the planet showing up at the end. He might develop the superpower to keep his mouth shut okay so like i mean speaking of spoilers i just have to share this because it made me laugh so hard this weekend somebody on twitter tweeted out that tom holland had as, as a joke that tom holland had that marvel was pissed at tom holland because he'd accidentally uploaded the entire uh cut of spider-man far from home onto the internet and it was clearly a joke oh, okay but Tom Holland retweeted it with, and for just a minute, I thought, shit, did I? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You embraced it, your reputation so hard. I fell off the couch laughing when I saw that. Because it was, and he had a photo of himself just kind of like. <laughs> you know. So anyway, that was great. Uh, also, the news: Christopher McQuarrie has signed to write and direct the next two Mission Impossible's back to back for t- release in 2020 and 2021. Wow, this makes a lot Who are of they sense. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, this is I thought is like okay, I've got to place this by 2020. Tom Cruise will be 58 or 59. Yeah, and, and he nearly killed himself in the last right. One. So let's. See if we can finish the job <laughs> and then put this. Uh, this is getting blood from a stone, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. They may not be a connected story. I hope not. Actually, I'd much rather they be. Uh, listen, listen to me talk. Yeah. I, I haven't seen one since. They're connected uh, since enough the third. just by reusing the same character. Well, they're Mission Impossible. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's fine. It's yeah. a franchise that's the size, but get them done. And then so that if. Tom Cruise <laughs> comes to his senses and says, I'm too old for this. Yeah, exactly. Um, I need to move more into musical comedy. I, I want to, I, you know, I want to rest. I want to not be in pain for a year. Yes. Um, then, you know, that would be, uh, that, uh, that could happen. So I think that's cool. Uh, Nicholas Cage was just announced to star in an adaptation of H.P. Lovecraft's The Color Out of Space. I'm excited about that. I still cannot believe that Nicholas Cage has never been in an H.P. Lovecraft project. But then I'm also thinking, how many have there actually been? Uh, there have been a fair number. I mean, there have been uh, in I, his lifetime. Uh, officially, in, in, I mean, no, there were those Kickstarter ones. There's that black and one, that that silent one yeah. of Call of Cthulhu. Well, which the Her- I, Herbert West reanimator has is well, uh, just reanimator and uh, is film right, Her- right. Uh, and from beyond. Someone did Dagon. Yeah, I really want to go back and rewatch John Carpenter's at the, uh, in the uh, at in the mouth of madness, uh-huh. which is an homage it's not right, an actual not, uh yeah. lovecraft but but an homage that's kind of also including sort of a stephen king like character uh there hasn't been enough we know famously that uh guillermo del toro has been trying to get uh at the at the mouth uh, no at the mountains of madness right uh adapted tom cruise was attached to that for a long yep. time 
So uh, I think it, it's time to you know get it get Lovecraft done. I just think Nicolas Cage is such a perfect actor to be part of uh, the Lovecraft universe. I'm just surprised. And I was going to ask if you see. I, I noticed that there is a Call of Cthulhu uh, PS4 game out right now, and I, I've I've heard nothing about it. I haven't I haven't seen it yet. Uh, you know, because yeah. Amazon keeps trying to push it to, to there, me on Facebook. There have been a couple of uh, of Lovecraft uh, video games. Okay, um, yeah, not just... not necessarily like first person shooter kind of things, but more mystery adventure stuff. Sure. Yeah. So you know, I, where you actually go mad in most of them. I, yeah, uh, you know, any game really does that to <laughs> me. That's why I don't game much. Because uh, Kingdom Hearts three is about to come out, and I still haven't gotten through Kingdom Hearts one. So. Um, but if you know, hey, I'll just call it, throw that out there. Hey, if anybody listening has played the Call of Cthulhu, let me know. What do you think of the game? Uh, editor at fanboyplanet.com. Let's go to TV. You posted, I mean, I know BBC posted it first, but I saw it on your Facebook page yes. first that there's an official cast photo of, of Doctor Who filming the new season. So the I'm. Family's I'm, back together. No, I, I'm excited. No. I mean, I know we're still a year away, yeah. but uh, it's just nice to have that confirmation after months of rumors about everybody leaving and and people unhappy and it's all a crock the whole reason for the delay is the bbc runs on a different funding schedule yeah they simply had to get the budget together to match what doctor who needs yep so they did it and the the british model allows for that so i i we're glad to see that and it's not that long in game of Thrones years not at all. <laughs> in dragon years it's like watching a youtube video for three minutes yes uh so uh, just before we, uh, I guess it was a couple hours before I did the podcast, but late this afternoon it was announced that Netflix has finally is bringing to fruition their deal with Mark Miller. Uh, they had bought Miller World, uh, the, it, all his comic books, mm-hmm. and uh, they are finally adapting to film. I think this is going to be a film, not a TV series. To follow up Bird Box, Sandra Bullock has liked working with Netflix so much she's gone back. And she's going to be in Reborn, which is Mark Miller and Greg Capullo have a graphic novel. I guess it's an ongoing series because I went to the comic shop tonight and I saw Volume 1. So I think that it's a series, maybe like Huck, that is potential to go on. I just don't know that they right, have right, right. a forward. It's so, not a closed story, but it doesn't. So, right. Really have it, it. It's about an elderly woman who dies in New York City and is reborn into a fantasy kingdom. Hmm. So there's dragons. Hmm. So uh, the movie will be seven years long in dragon years. I <laughs> know. Uh, I don't know. Uh, in Game of Thrones time, I don't know how long it is. But it's interesting because this is, you know, I, I was having a conversation earlier this week again about like, you know, we, we've said this with with Polar coming on uh, on Netflix from Dark Horse. You know, don't cry for Dark Horse just because they've lost Marvel. They're developing all kinds of things. They have Star Wars. They lost Star Wars. No, they've lost Marvel. I mean, they almost have. They only have two shows left. They've canceled Daredevil. There's only Jessica Jones and The Punisher. Every actor is, okay. you know, okay, okay. everybody expects that after the next season, the second season of Punisher, Punisher will be canceled. After this third season of Jessica Jones, it'll all go away. And Marvel's going to pull it back. So they've lost, and, they, they, and we know they've lost Disney rights as well. Uh, or you know those contracts are going to be allowed to expire, but don't cry for them. They're developing plenty of genre entertainment from other sources, and here it is: the Miller versus fi- Miller mm-hmm. World is finally developing into something. I would not be surprised if Huck comes hard upon in three weeks. Out of Dark Horse, we get the uh, the Umbrella Academy is coming to yeah. to yeah. as a series 
to Netflix. So I think they're going to be just fine. When's Alita Battle Angel come? Because that thing looks it's mid- awesome. M- uh, mid-February. Mid-February? Yeah. So uh, I know. I saw another trailer for it. They're doing uh, pop-up experiences. And if I see a link, if you haven't seen it, I, I will uh, Okay. I will find a link and, get, and give it to you. I mean, I, think, I don't think it's coming to Northern California. I think it's going to oh. be in L.A. But you're so into this. I think you might want to make a road trip. Hmm. Uh, I won't tell Debbie where you are <laughs> if you feel so so moved. But I, I, I she'd know from my Facebook post. Yeah, that's what you haven't really figured out, have you? <laughs> uh, yeah, I had to say the same thing to Stephanie a couple of nights ago about something. She she said, "Well, you wouldn't know if I did this." And I said, "I follow you on Instagram. Of course I would." <laughs> and she went, "You know, curses." Uh, so anyway, uh. Because we had to have this conversation, we had to tell somebody who said, "You know, like you know, the show I really miss. It's too bad it got canceled with Shield." So let me remind people: we're not <laughs> yes. talking about Shield yet because Marvel TV is doing and ABC are doing exactly the smart thing they should have done with Shield in the first place, mm-hmm. which is wait until the movie that directly affects it to be out in theaters so everybody knows. Right. So Shield is coming back so this summer. So they have to drag their heels through half a season and right. then you know, spin so it, so after Endgame, then we will get Agents of Shield in May, I think. I think it's scheduled for May. Uh 13 episodes and I think it was renewed for a uh, for another season as well. So at least two summers in a row. They're going to experiment with this model. And look, it, it, like I say, it's what they should have done in Did the first place. Did you watch the last season? Uh no. Oh. No, I know, I know, I know. Sorry. As we're talking about Netflix, like, I love Luke Cage. uh I'm only four episodes into Luke Cage. Uh I have not watched Daredevil Season 3. Luckily, I heard it was canceled, so there's time. (laughs) I still have not watched Iron (laughs) Fist 2. So I got some time to catch it up on streaming. Thank God it was canceled. In a way, at least I know that I have a finite amount to catch up on. Uh, you know, it, it's, I did finish Titans. So, you know, that, that I'm feeling good about that. Uh, but as much as it finished. Well, I know, but yeah. I, you know, it was a good, it was a good cliffhanger. It's like a hiatus. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, IMDb has it listed as it's still. It was twenty six episodes, right? And you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what else? Uh, you know, and of course, Star Trek Discovery came back with a bang. As far as oh. I'm concerned, yeah. Hold your cards and letters, people, because I know there are people that didn't like it, but I loved it, uh, and. I really like Anson Mount as Captain Pike. Oh, I thought he was awesome. And that he's, I read an interview with him and I'm like, you put so much more thinking into like where Pike is in the, in, right. in, in, in the timeline. Like, I don't care. I've said this before and I'll say it again. I am absolutely a hundred percent. Okay. If CBS says this is a reboot. Oh yeah. I thought for a moment that they had made a reference to Amanda dying. I was wrong. Yeah. Uh, but I was like, Oh, Good, because then we can get rid of people saying, well, Spock was never like this or blah, 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 was never like this. And, uh, you know, that that I did realize one flaw, which is, you know, this is what happened. I can't believe this is one of the few crossover things I know is that the season two premiere did invalidate some things in the first tie-in novel that they had published. Oh, okay. So, But again, it's sort of like. What are you going to do? Yeah. You, you write the best story for TV. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's a whole new showrunner. I mean, that's it. Yeah. It's a whole new team. They're not paying attention. So so uh, apparently CBS's licensing people aren't as careful as Disney's are when it comes to Star Wars. Because Star Wars is tightly – I think I, I put up on Fanboy Planet. They've got a TIE Fighter series coming. Or is, I think it's a, maybe it's a one-shot. 
but it's meant as the mirror to uh to a resistance pilot novel that's coming so now they're uh, uh-huh. you, you they are, are getting different the, versions of the yeah, story yeah. across you know and not just a novel adaptation so you know that's okay i'm enjoying the 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 novels from for, for star trek as well for discovery as well but loved that and you know there it is. We said in the last episode, there's too much TV. I, yes. There's so much. I haven't even had a chance to give Deadly Class a shot. I'm hearing good things about that. I want to give that a shot, but I realize I never finished Krypton. I need to finish Krypton because I was enjoying that. I got to catch up on I'm getting. Legends I'm tomorrow. trying to get ahead. I'm trying desperately to get ahead because I know that there's we got Cinequest coming up for two weeks. And that's going to just like take a a chunk of time you know i was in denial quest so thank you uh for no you know that's absolutely true that uh luckily and and i do i mean this we didn't get as many screeners you didn't as we usually do i i opened a screener page okay i did open quite a few there are a few not as many as we've had in years past and that's okay uh i'm i'm probably going to limit to the things that are horror sci-fi and fantasy that you know, just so that we can, that I think, we can have I a think focus it has to be germane to our audience for me to see it. Yeah, I mean, you unless, know, unless I really get somebody who's because as happens for me for Cinequest, it's this is the social. You know, I mean, yeah. the meeting filmmakers and and talking to them. So I think, uh, and we will be in a very, uh, very few, few, near future episode. We'll be having our annual conversation with Mike Rabel, program director of Cinequest, because like one thing we didn't talk, they didn't talk about at the media launch was. What's the silent film? Yeah. Like, I'm hoping they're going to go back to comedy. I really am. I really loved The Wind. I was surprised last yeah. year that it was a, for those listening, it's a Lillian Gish classic. Yeah. Uh, and I think I always get surprised when I got, when I get caught up in a silent film drama. Yeah. I, I expect to enjoy a comedy. When I get caught up in a drama, that's, a, you know, that speaks to its, its, true, its lasting true, power. True. So uh, that was the first time I'd ever really seen Lillian Gish in action other than Night of the Hunter. Uh-huh. So to actually go like, oh, yeah, no, I get why people thought she was a great actor, you know, uh, for that time in silent film. So uh, anyway, uh, that's that's it. I think we – oh, dear, the coffee. The, it was decaf even. It just uh, burped back up Did on it? me. Yeah, just a little bit. No, it's – or maybe it was the it was the nachos. Uh, <laughs> I think it might be the nachos. You think it might be the nachos? Maybe. All right. With the sauce I'm and the sorry. beef. And the- uh, tonight's episode brought to you by Adelita's. Anyway, uh, so thank you for listening. And, of course, if you have any questions, comments, compliments, commentary, criticism, write in to editor at fanboyplanet.com. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. Just let us know if there's something that you think we should talk about. Um or any corrections, as I mentioned there. So that's it. I just like I just wanted to keep going on, and yet I don't. I'm tired. So I got to say, uh, thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. I'm Derek McCaw, editor in chief of FanboyPlanet.com, and I'm Rick Brett Snyder, reminding you to use, use your, your powers, powers for good. Thanks once again to the great Luke Ski for use of his music in this podcast. Visit Luke Ski at www.thegreatlukeski.com.